Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy, and we've got a full studio this morning, I'm pleased to say. First up, we have to say a very good morning back to A.B. Bishop. Morning, A.B. Oh, good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. Isn't it exciting? In fact, I actually don't think there's probably anyone listening, but if they are... They can't hear us properly because they're underneath their dunas, hopefully. They would have to be. (laughs) Absolutely have to be. Again, one of those beautiful foggy mornings and um, I'm very happy that I wrapped my passion fruit up early. Ah. I decided this year I'm not losing passion fruit. I've lost passion fruit every year due to frost. And um, this year I was like, no, it's getting wrapped up. So I've I've got a whole trellis of passion fruit, which is probably about, I don't know, maybe eight metres long and um, very slowly but surely espaliering three passion fruit and um, I've got a, um, what have I got, a a gold, a Panama gold and and just the normal Nelly Kelly Black, a couple of them and um, yeah, so espaliering them right across it and it's coming coming along a treat and um, they're really healthy but I thought no this year they're getting wrapped in frost cloth and so it's in its doona too it's in its <laughs> doona as well yeah well and truly so yeah no it's um it's definitely we, I think we've had an early start to winter we it, have it feels like we've had you know we actually haven't had any of the frosts yet but um down in, down in the valley in Yarra Glen they have mm. but um, we've come close um you know a couple of two and one degree mornings. I've come very close, but I still actually haven't had a real frost. Yeah. I'm just waiting. I keep wondering why I haven't yet. Yeah, I know. It feels so cold. Yeah, it does. And and those real foggy mornings, oh, gee, they're dismal, aren't they, when the sun just refuses to break through. It's just like, come on. And then you drive up the, you know, drive up the hill a kilometre and the sun's up there. I know. Thaw out for a bit and come back down. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's um, it's all exciting, and I'll talk later. But we've had lots of changes to the veggie garden, so okay, I'm lots pretty, to hear about. Yeah, pretty excited about that. All right, okay. Now, also, of course, it's the second uh, Sunday in the month, which means that uh, Graham Sargent's in from Silky's Rose Farm. Good morning, Graham. Hey, good morning, um, everybody here in the panel. Look, these are brave soldiers. They all, all got out of bed and come in here to be well, on the you radio. Did too. Graham's you still did wearing too. his dinner. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am wearing my dinner. Um, yeah, look, I can out point you any time. We've had about um, seven frosts already. Oh, 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 oh. what a killer. <laughs> um, but our creek's up and um, they're, they're going to be doing a big study on platypus and we do have some platypus in our creek. Great. Which is really good. Um, when I say the creek's up, the water's, you know, actually flowing. Yep. And um, that's that's really good. What creek is it? It's the Sunday Creek, mm-hmm. which um, does ba- drown, eventually go back to the Goulburn because we're on the top of the Great Divide. And... Um, um, the the um, concern they have, of course, is the drop in platypus numbers generally yes. throughout Australia. So yeah. um, that's a great thing. And um, th- the good thing about it is is that they're doing a study on, on the actual pollution that actually takes place in the creek, of course, mm. and that's a big issue. Mm. Yeah. So, that you know, that's a positive. Oh, yep. Definitely. Mm. And you've been on a road trip. Yes, been on. Ro- I bought some flowers in here this morning just to blow my bags. <laughs> <laughs> and um, roses, yes. fancy that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yes, we've been down to our good friend Brian Wagner down at um, Panola. Or he actually is at Kalangadu. Do you, do, you, yeah. do, you, do you know there's a daffodil named Kalangadu? Right. Could you imagine not, that? 
Yeah. It's and, a good um, name. Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, he's been working with backpackers. There must be about 40 or 50 backpackers getting all the roses dug. Right. And had a good season, and the plants are fantastic. Excellent. Really are, yeah. Yep. It's the place to grow roses with the um, limestone. If people don't know about Kalangadu Panola. That's where the best red wines in Australia are grown. Are you saying pono- Panola? Panola. Pen- oh, Panola, yeah. not Pomola. No. No, oh, okay. Not, not South Australia. Yeah. Oh, it is South Australia. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and the, the, the real reason why they can grow such good roses, there's a lot of limestone underneath the, the topsoil. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why they get such fantastic red mm. wines. Really. Fantastic. Like, I'm not a wine drinker, but some of them are beautiful. Mm. Okay. Yeah, mate. So you really did enjoy your trip, oh, I yeah, can yeah. see. <laughs> I have two mouthfuls of red wine, I'm half gone. You know, okay. <laughs> We also have to say a very good morning to Karen Sutherland. Morning, Karen. Hi, Pam. How are you? And you're a voice. Is it working? I have to say you're a real trooper this morning. Not only is it freezing cold, but you've come in specially as doing an extra shift for me. So I'm I'm very grateful. Oh, that's okay. It's, I'm um, part of a very full, full and very exuberant panel. You're all, you're making me feel more energetic being here, all of you. <laughs> good. So it's worth it. And as usual, Karen comes bearing gifts. <laughs> Unfortunately, not chocolate eggs, but they are eggs nonetheless. <laughs> And it's not Easter. <laughs> it's not Easter. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a lot of eggs. Are they all from your place? <laughs> yes. Wow. So the, quails. The, yeah. they're, they're quail eggs. You yeah. want to see them? People are like, sorry, we can't have. The, well, people it's see them. more than two mm-hmm. handfuls put together. You know, yeah. big, big two handfuls. Mm-hmm. But oh, you yeah. need about fourteen to make a decent omelette, wouldn't you? No, um, no. Four eggs. Well, four eggs makes one chicken egg. Okay, roughly. but yep. of course that's very that's pretty rich because you get quite a lot of yolks. So yeah, if you don't get much white in them, they kind of seem like about. I don't know their proper proportion, but they look about half yolk to half white. They do. I yeah, agree. Yeah. So, yeah. And and Tammany, have you got? Uh, uh, well, I was going to say four, but I've just received an extra one of those. She's not really laying. She's a rescue quail, let's say. Aww, okay. She was, um, she was being bullied. That, I mean, you know, that happens with flocks of birds. Yep. And um, the, pers- the friend who had her couldn't resolve the bullying. And I've tried various things and eventually, because we've just built a, a quail eco-lodge or eco-hilton. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So now there's enough space for her to be in her own small cage, which is still quite a big cage, Yep. inside that. And she's much happier. I tried and tried and she was still getting bullied. So yep. um, sometimes those things are just really hard to resolve. Yeah, of so course. Yeah. She's perfectly happy. She's got the space that four quails could normally occupy. Mm-hmm. So amongst the um, – and, and she's in the other area. So, so she's got the penthouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and how many eggs do you get a day? Um, look, it varies So because sometimes you don't get any and you think, oh, there's none. But then, because they're now in the quail eco-lodge, you have to sc- you have to scavenge around to find the eggs Okay. because they're free-ranging. They're yeah. not yes. laying where you think, oh, now here's a nice fluffy dry area, girls. Can you please lay here? No, we'd like to lay in this grubby, muddy Under the bush, corner. yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And we think that that's a much better alternative. <laughs> and now your eggs, a bit, your eggs are a bit wet, but oh, well, never mind. But they seem to last. They seem to have very hard shells, quail eggs, so much so that I eventually bought myself some um, quail egg scissors, which um, are something Have like you ever the, heard of that, quail oh, egg the, scissors? The things you can buy. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, no, but they are. They're really hard to crack the shells. Yeah, so I used to kind of just hold them and just whack them with a, with a, knife, with a bread knife to try and get the top off. But you I've actually used a serrated um, knife oh, right. to actually yes, cut yeah. the yeah. through. So just tapping it on the bench top doesn't cut no, it? No, doesn't oh. no, no, and the and the scissors. Uh, I mean, buying them on eBay from you know some remote place in China that cost only a couple of dollars, but it did take about a month. But yep. it is the ch- if you buy them from a 
from a culinary specialist in Australia, they can charge you up to $40 oh, for these goodness. things I've seen. Yeah, yes. so you, there's a variety of prices for these. Yep. So anyway, I went for the very cheap option. <laughs> a variety. The gold-plated variety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just the same, I think. Well, you'll need them for your eco, your oh, Hilton yeah, Eco Lodge yeah, chickens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, you hold your quail egg, you, you put the egg inside the top of the scissors you slice the top off. It's the two things, sort of, one thing sort of slides over the other, and the blade slides over the top of the um, the egg hmm. or through it, I should say. And you you can look inside, and that's also a really good way to see whether because they get all mixed up, and you can't write the dates on these. So mm, I've taken yes. to sort of putting packages in the fridge at different times, <laughs> right? Or packages in, on the shelf at different times because I started to lose track. Yeah. At one stage, I had so many, I had to do a. Uh, oh, actually, I don't know how many there is there. There's about the same amount. But I had to do a big breakup of about um, um, nearly 30 eggs because I couldn't tell whether they were off or not. The only way I've been able to tell, actually, because the float test doesn't seem to work, I floated okay. and, then, and then opened them up and they were perfectly fine, even when they showed that they were off. Yeah. So all I've found, this is just experimentation, yep. is that when they have a really strong smell, you think, mm, don't like that, and so you put that in the compost bin, that... Um, the otherwise, just cutting the top off, you can see inside, and see if the if yolk's cloudy intact, or, yeah. yes, yeah. then it's perfect. Or, 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 and then, if you're really uncertain, you can pop it into a single, you know, just, just a small cup. Yep. And then once you see that, you think, oh well, that's perfectly fine. So I broke open because I couldn't find anyone to take them. I tried to offer them to people, and no, there were no takers because they didn't know. I said, look, they're a lucky dip, but I've just got too many. Yep. And no one took them, so I thought, well, I'll just break the whole lot of them and just give them to a neighbour and say, here, you've got three kids, you can make a massive omelette. Here you go. Mm. It's the equivalent of about, was the equivalent of about six or seven eggs. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. you go. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that was that. Yeah. Mm. Cleared out the cupboard. So, yeah, they, they, I can't believe how well they lay in cold weather. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, that, okay, so they're laying through already. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah. got to be a good feature because I, I've got yes. bantams at the moment and they've knocked off. They haven't, they haven't laid I, for about three months. I had bantams okay. But that's before, just what happens, yeah. 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 yeah, and I yeah. have bantams for a long time because they were better for my small spaces. Mm. And, yeah, that's what I got fed up with. Mm. Look, that was so cute. So I mm. gave them away. I, didn't, I couldn't kind of bear to do anything else with them mm. except give them away to somebody who had a lot of space and didn't really care if they got er- er- erratic egg laying. Mm. Uh, but, no, I found them amazing because I got them um, in winter last year and they laid right through winter then. They were just coming mm. into egg laying mm. and they just laid and laid. So I, from what you can see, because also the other thing, if you were a bit better at tracking it than I am, is that they have individual patterns on the eggs. So each bird... Each Lays hen, the same pattern? Yes. No way. Yeah. I know. So That's insane. If you were... Well, Pam and whoever wants mm. the eggs can take them home and can look through um, and you can tell which one's which been ones? laying. Mm. Yes. Or, you know, you know that there's one that's been laying a lot. Mm. So there's obviously incredible. one that lays every day, or almost right. every day. Yeah. Maybe two lay almost every day. Um, bully so how, how many would eggs would they lay in a year? Well, at a rough guess... Well, one of them's probably laying almost. She's she's laying three hundred and twenty a year for sure. Really, because okay. she just you know it, she just doesn't stop laying. Yeah. One of them. I don't know which one though, because unlike chickens that make a bit of a to do about it, and you can dash out and see what's yep. going on. With quails, they're all running around hither and thither. <laughs> Actually, one little cute thing I've done now for anyone who's keeping quails is because um, again it's a bit of an experiment because there's so much information on keeping chickens, but a lot less on keeping quails. Yes, and because now I've got. Um, uh, well, you know, touch wood, a rat-proof, fox-proof area, there's mm. one little section that they could burrow under that I've still yet to put down some more wire mesh because I figure, mm. you know, rats love burrowing but they can't mm. burrow through wire. And um, we've got – so we've got soil for them because they really love soil to – they love mm. a sand bath. 
yep. and they also love some soil to pack around. As, and so do, as do fowls, they love, yes. love the sand. Yeah, yeah. And all all the all the stuff that's bred in the in the cages, they don't get that that natural. No, and it's thing. really sad. Yeah, so I've taken to digging up a little bit mm. of soil every day, which was. And do they some... sand bath every day? Uh, yes, I think they yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. now that they've got a really, really big sand bath, they seem less frantic yes. about it because I used to give them a tiny one and they'd go, because it was only a tiny cage that was rat proof, because I have to say one got killed by a rat in a bigger area. Yeah, so really. then I had to put the I was wondering why you were rat proofing it because hey, it's oh, very yeah. hard to rat proof. Oh, it was a massive, yeah. massive effort. It, mm. took, it took myself and the engineer, so I took John, <laughs> my <laughs> resident engineer, it took us probably – one or two days, hmm. it, and that's, I suppose that counts going off and buying all the mesh. And yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. it's not mouse-proof, but m- mice won't kill quails, whereas we did have one killed and partly eaten yeah. by a rat overnight, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rats which is are, disgusting. Yeah. They're, They're horrible, rats. horrible creatures. Um, you can get stainless steel um, poultry wire now and lay it underneath the soil or the concrete in your well, pen. I may do that yet, actually. Mm. May do and, that. And I hadn't come across if you, that yet. If you, come up, if you use the other wire, you know, it's, it's all, all rusted out in probably about two or three years. But you can, you can mm. definitely get the stainless steel um, okay. mice-proof wire to yep. lay under the... Right. Under the soil, or if you put concrete in, in the pen, you can put it under that. Yeah, I, th- yeah. Yeah, I think I'd probably rather just use the wire. That's a, I have to look for the stainless steel wire. We've got gal, hmm. really small gal mesh around the all the sides, you know, all bent and tied in. Hmm. And then we've got, I mean, it was an old raspberry bed, so it's got stone edging on three sides, and then we put timber edging in down there as well, which will eventually hmm. rot, of course. Hmm. But then between the gaps between the stone and the timber, mm. I've then shoved all this old chicken wire mm-hmm. crumpled up. Mm-hmm. So they've got quite a barrier to yeah. get underneath. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and look, at the moment, to be honest, they're too busy sitting up above the quails eating mm. my kiwi fruits. So. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the next plans in the pets in the garden is I have to get another cat. Because it's just impossible to keep to the keep rats, rats out. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, even if it keeps what, them the, down a little bit. The cat idea is great, so long as you can keep the cat in. Yeah, well, they I've are had two so die, good. unfortunately, and that's that's where yeah. I've had explosions. Each time I've yeah. lost a cat, so I yeah. just was very unlucky. One yeah. got sick with an unknown illness and the other yeah. one and had to be put to sleep and the yeah. other one got hit by a car just before yeah. – well, actually, it was in summer. Yeah. And, yeah, since then, it's a noticeable difference in yeah. the breeding and the – It's the, interesting um, about mice and rats and, and the challenges with fowls. The World Health Organisation tell us that for every human being on the earth there's a, there's a mice or, or a rat – and I'm surprised also, there's only one. Yeah, I was going to say, I <laughs> think that'd be about well, 12. Yeah, yeah, in my area. Um, sure. And they've said it'll never, ever be any different yeah. because they're, they're, they're part of the ecosystem and they're the scavengers. They clean stuff up. Mm, mm. Um, so like we're, we're always going to have a challenge fruit. with them and, mm. of course, leftover food from, from fowls and um, uh, quail mm, and different things like mm, that is, mm. is what they – They'll, they'll go for They're even getting into, I'm sure of this, that they're getting up and somehow managing to get chicken food out of my rat-proof chicken yeah, feeder. Yeah, Because you can see oh, Yes, if, if they're heavy enough, maybe. Yeah. They, I don't know whether they can just visualise Yeah, have you got one of the ones where they stand on? Yeah. No, no, it's not that. It's actually one that's above the ground. Yeah. But I can see scratch marks all over the base of it. Yeah. So they're obviously kind of doing gymnastics or yeah. one standing on top of the other. Th- I, ha- so I, had, I had one so that was clever. hanging just with that extremely thin diameter wire yeah. 
and they were coming down the wire. Yeah. Yes. You yeah. know, they're, they're, they're very cunning. So they we've are. now got one of those ones where the chickens have to step and on is it. Is it better? Oh, it's fantastic. And like You, you can just fill it up. up. No, not at all. I thought maybe they'd all band together, the rats and cats. <laughs> well, <laughs> you'd think they would, but no, no, it's, okay, it's that's fine. It, that's yeah, my, that's it ta- my last trip. But I'm just yeah, wondering if the, the quails fine, might yeah. not be heavy oh, enough. The, quail, the quails are fine, though. They are Oh, they're okay. Okay, yeah, Well, until they start burrowing... Underneath deep timber, and you know that's the last point. I'm going to dig down and put lots of wire beneath that, beside that, mm. and then they've got some serious impediments, <laughs> so they really can't get in. Mm. Um, but I'll try also get the stainless steel mm. wire. Now mm. I know about that, mm. and then the rats are pretty safe. So, but the chickens, I'm going to try that. That's an excellent idea. Yeah. Mm. So you still got chooks? Yeah, I've got one. I. I've had the second one, I've always just had, well, since the Bantams, I've had two. Mm. And then I've had, again, one just randomly die. I've had, mm. I've had, I was a brown, so now since I went from the the sublime to the ridiculous, or the ridiculous <laughs> to the sublime, I went from Bantams yeah. that were very cute and laid very irregularly to Isa Browns. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But the, Isa Browns are a bit insane, I reckon, aren't they? Yeah, they, they, well, they I, they, I mean, because they're cute. bred for laying, yeah. Yeah. they're just, all they want to do is eat and then rush off and lay and eat and, you know. Well, they're, no, but they're but their lifespans is, is, is genetically geared up to yeah. live only about two years. Yeah, well, and, and the foraging's been bred out of them. So yeah. then they, they won't yeah. go off down the gardens like, yeah. I mean, we've got a, a really? couple of the silver. Yeah. Mine goes crazy. Oh, she really? Was, they wrecked my whole garden. So oh. I had two of them. So I put them, I put. I don't know if these ones know that. So I put them into a, um, they've got a, I've got a, you know, a, um, compromise. So they don't have the entire garden and they don't have a small run. Well, now it's just one, but I'm, I've got two more coming and or two more cross, um, crosses. And so now they've got a reasonable sized run that she has pretty much eaten. I mean, she ate the, they ate the green ferns, hares foot ferns. I didn't know that chickens ate hares foot fern mm. leaves. Um, they ate everything. So I've put, Anything green. Yeah, I put them a <laughs> chicken salad bar and they got sick of what was in there. They, I was the only thing that she, the one that remains really likes is the, um, the black nightshade. Oh. So, yeah, she's quite keen on that. Yeah. Well, I just keep poking bits through to her. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, I mean, if they have plenty of greens, then they tend to get a bit fussy, don't they? But, I mean, oh, our, yeah, ours have yeah, got, you know, felt. 16 metres by 8 metres and, you know, there's always areas that are weedy and I'm like, come on, just eat a few of the weeds, just a few, you know. Yeah, but, you know, no, they, they won't. They, they no, just yeah. won't. Right. Go for the grass. And, and they know what they need and they're experts yeah, exactly, yeah. At, at different experts. herbage and what they actually need. Ex- <laughs> well, well done, Grant. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, j- it is interesting in, how, they know, how they'll eat different things. Like one yeah. time of the year, the yes. comfrey next to the, next to the chicken run is yeah. completely eaten out yeah. and as far as yeah. they can reach, get their mm. head through the fence and other times, not mm. at all. Well, it's at my, really place, my place, I've done experiments with capeweed, you know, and we can oh. get capeweed at our place half a metre high. No chickens will eat capeweed? And they'll eat it when it's very young. Oh, yeah. But once yeah. it's got older, they won't touch it. Hmm. But they know they're cool dudes. They really are. The, 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 um, the hidden messages that they send to one another. I've got about um, eight roosters all in together. Wow. I've got one dad. <laughs> I've got one dad. And he's the boss. awake early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i got one dad and he's the boss. And they're in what, what our dingo pen used to be, which is all grass. And they selectively go through that every morning. And they'll eat the greens as in preference to grain and, and even pellets. Mm, mm, mm. So, so having the eight roosters together, mm. that's not a problem with the bantams? Because no. you couldn't do that with 
any of the other breeds, could you? No, you can do it with any, so long as they're all red together. Oh, okay. But uh, I put yeah. I put the dad in, and he honestly, you watch him. He, he's the referee. <laughs> he, he he really gets stuck in them if they play up, and you can see there's this chook language go on, and they cheek him. They really do because they're all about dominance, you know. They're all about dominance because, and that's why they crow. They dominate mm. their area to let everybody else. This is my place. That's a lot of roosters. It? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh dear. So that, that's how they keep unwanted house guests away. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, one of the great things about eggs and quail eggs and all, they tell us that there's ninety percent of the egg is actually protein. Okay, wow. so if we're really looking at that challenge of protein, and we start to look at lot-fed cattle and and mm. all that sort of thing, which is you know, it's, a, it's just a crazy it's horrible, idea. Yeah. It's mm. a crazy idea. And then they fill them up with grain, and they get mm. acidosis, and that acidosis comes in the meat. So, mate, we're going to steer around meat. Sorry, steer around it. Yep. Steer oh, around it. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just dropping them in. Find, find other forms of protein. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how do quails there differ, like, characteristically from chickens, from having chickens? Ah, uh, let me think. Well, they're more flighty, so they dart around the place really rapidly. Um, could you have them so. free-ranging in the garden like you could chickens, or would they take themselves off for a walk to the neighbours? Um, they can fly when they're alarmed, as you, know, as you may know if you're out in paddocks in the country and things like that, they just fly straight up in the air. Mm-hmm. So they could easily take themselves over. But, no, they'd be predated by rats, for instance, so you yeah. really couldn't. And also I don't know if anyone's ever trained them to come back in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you really need to try and give them as much area as they can to, and just keep them in. enclosed. Yeah, you yeah. have to keep them. Yeah. Safe. It's more for their own safety, as far as I can fathom, because they'd be attacked by other birds. I'd say. I'm mm. sure that ch- um, my chicken would quite happily. I mean, she's quite interested in them and thinks they're very, you know, they're interesting next door neighbours. Mm. But I'm sure if she was given the chance, she'd have a bit of a peck of them because they're just small and fluffy and they might be quite tasty. But they get out of the way. I used to have, have them in aviaries with budgies. Oh, there you go. Mm. That was much and, but mm. the, the great thing with, with quails is they'll pick up those little insects. Um, thrip and aphids and all those sort of things are things that we don't necessarily see, and that'll mm. that'll create create that own their own little um, you know eco world. So you think they might be good to keeping greenhouses with roses? Yeah. Mm. Have you tried that? No, I haven't. No. Mm. But you couldn't keep you, them. You don't keep them for foraging in the garden. You know, like chickens, mm. they're mm. really good pest control. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't but, necessarily but the, do that with quail. I mean, you the could. Quail will pick if, up those small insects. Yeah, really. yeah, but. If they're going to take off, mm. you can't well, have pre range. I imagine they'd be they'd be very easy prey for cats and dogs yeah. too. Mm. Oh, yeah. that is what. Well. Yeah, cats. Yeah. Any so, cat would. Yes. Come in. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We mm. must get to some community announcements. Uh, <laughs> the show is sort of rolling ahead. <laughs> if anyone's interested in quails, then yeah. they've had a very interesting morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, first up, uh, a special day coming up uh, next Saturday. This is uh, the next um, series of workshops being run by uh, the Friends of uh, Cranbourne Gardens. Now, it's entitled A Very Special Day with Attila Capitani and Attila is going to be talking about Australian succulents as well as boabs and bottle trees. Now, it's being held down at the Australian Garden Auditorium down at Cranbourne Gardens. That's on the corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive there in Cranbourne. Melway's uh, map 133G10. Now, it's a full program for the day, but uh, people can book in for one presentation only or for both presentations. Um, 
So he will start off uh, Attila at 10 o'clock in the gardens shop signing books. Then he will uh, chat to people in the auditorium. Then uh, the first talk, which is on Australian succulents, will be from 11 till 12. Um, then uh, uh, he'll be back in the gardens shop. Uh, then after lunch, um, again, chatting to people. Then his second talk of the day will be from 2 till 3 and that's his talk on boabs and bottle trees. Then finally, in the auditorium for a chat and afternoon tea. Um, now, as I said, you can book for one presentation or both. Uh, the pricing's the morning talk. Uh, for members of the Friends Group, $20. For non-members, $25. Students, $10. Now, that includes uh, morning tea. Uh, the afternoon talk, the same pricing, 20 25 and 10 but if you'd like to go to both talks, which includes refreshments, members $30, non-members uh, $40, students $15. Now, bookings are essential. Uh, you can go online uh, to www.rbgfriendscranburn, all one word, .org.au. Uh, click on Recent News, um, A Day with Attila Capitani, and you can download the booking form. Otherwise, if you'd like further information, you can phone 8774-2483. Now, also next Saturday, uh, the Royal Horticultural Society of Victoria is presenting Gardener's Day Out 2017. Now, this is taking place at Rusden Theatre, which is at Deakin University, Burwood Highway in Burwood. Uh, starts at 9.30. Now, there's going to be three inspiring presentations. Cathy Powers um, will show how gardeners can be a vital element in monitoring plant movement and diversity in the countryside. Uh, then there'll be a talk on Blooming Tasmania, which uh, will look at Tasmania's unique garden attractions. They have over 60 gardens in Tasmania that are as diverse and interesting as anywhere in Australia. And uh, finally, uh, the Gardenettes will be uh, featured in the afternoon. Now, this is three young uh, women who formed a 50s-style approach to gardening and cooking. Uh, this features Chloe Thompson, Melissa King and Danny Venn. Chloe and Melissa, of course, are well-known from the Garden Gurus. And Danny was uh, a finalist on MasterChef. Uh, there'll also be the awards for the recent Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show Hanging Basket Competition. Now, the program commences at 9.30. Uh, entry is $10. A light lunch is available for $15, but that must be pre-ordered. And uh, there'll also be plants and goods for sale, unusual items available, and free undercover parking. Um, now, if you want to register... Uh, you can uh, phone 5367-6363. So that's 5367-6363. Uh, so that's also taking place next Saturday. Uh, now, I did mention last week that um, the Yates Junior Landcare Grants for Children's Garden Programs is currently open for applications now, this is via the Junior Land Care website. Applications do close on Thursday, the 29th of June. Uh, so you've got uh, a little while 
to uh, get in. Now, there's uh, 15 grants. They're valued at 2000 each. They're available for schools, youth groups and childcare centres. Uh, now, they'll get 1500 in funding plus 500 uh, value of Yates Garden products and a growing consultation with a Yates Gardening expert. So uh, interested groups are invited to submit a design for their dream garden within their school grounds or communities. And uh, Yates and Junior Landcare are looking for young imaginations to run wild, think about the kind of garden they would love to grow. This could include veggie gardens, butterfly gardens, bush tucker and sensory gardens, just uh, to mention a few ideas. So uh, for more information on that or uh, to submit an application, you do need to go to the website. Now that website is www dot landcare australia or one word dot org dot au forward slash grants dash four dash garden so i'll just read that again landcare australia dot org dot au forward slash grants dash four dash gardens and uh just repeating that the closing date of that is thursday the 29th of june all right. Well, it's time we invited our listeners to uh, call in this morning. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. In the studio this morning, we have A.B. Bishop, Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm and Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design, So, in, which includes um, all sorts of fowl by the sound of it. <laughs> uh, certainly very edible from the egg side of it. Um, but do give us a call. That number is nine. Four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. Graham, let's get back to your road trip and tell us some of these roses you brought in this morning. Um, yes, Pam, I brought in this morning um, the pink rose, and it's still flowering, and that's the rose Nahima, which is actually very famous for its perfume, and uh, that pink is yeah, probably a mid pink, and it, the rose will grow around about one and a half meters in height. Mm-hmm. And um, they tell us that it's the most popular rose that's used in bridal arrangements in Europe. Okay. And uh, so perfume has, has really been important um, in in that being an appealing thing, especially in the cut flower world, because we know that most roses in the cut flower world don't have perfume. Yes. Because most of them are grown in hothouses. And to get perfume for a, hot and, a hothouse rose is um, very, very difficult from a breeding Point of view. Okay. Why is that, Graham? Um, it has to do with the genetics, mm-hmm. and and the hothouse roses are quite different genetics to those that are roses that are grown in, in um, uh, you know, in the normal garden mm-hmm. or even in the wild yep. too as well. Yeah. Uh, and the other rose I've got is is uh, 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 getting onto a darkish pink rose, which is called Knockout. And Knockout, of course, is still flowering, which is you know very good for June as. For Nahima, yes, and Knockout um, is one of those roses that's been um, uh, bred with a lot of disease resistance and fungus resistance, and um, we've got a, a hedge of it um, in our display garden at our our um, our place at Clombanane, and um, it's one of those roses you you really don't need to do very much pruning mm-hmm. of, and um, it's. Following along our famous breeder in Australia, Alistair Clark, it's a rose that's um, very easy and low maintenance. 
Um, you don't think of roses as not needing pruning? Like mm, I would just automatically mm, assume all roses have to be pruned. That mm, really surprises me. Well, um, you you would have to prune it, and it's an mm. easy rose to prune with a hedger, just an ordin- ordinary mm. um, mechanical hedger. And um, because most roses, or the majority of roses, flower on their new wood, so pruning encourages that new wood to grow. Yes. Anyway, it it's, sounds complicated, but this was... Um, uh, of course, roses in their natural environment are pruned by goat, sheep, and deer. Mm. Of course, and that's why that's why they develop thorns. They're, like I say, to, to try like, and protect themselves. Yeah, they've yeah. got brains. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but Knockout was released in in the United States in in the first year. I think they sold somewhere in the vicinity of about um, eight million in the first couple of years. Wow, goodness! So Another it's the sort of rose that could be planted along um, streetscapes um, or in a place where um, uh, you could Beautiful. even use it to feed stock if you wanted to. Yeah. Rose-scented uh, land or something yeah, like that. Yeah, well, there you go. a great idea. Um, there's, there's been a lot of work done on um, saltbush um, yes, yeah, with its impact yeah, yeah. For, for lamb. Yes. And, I'll um, grow one of those and show it to people, yeah. Um, yeah. nomalaria de Kirk. Mm. Mm-hmm. Say that, that again? Atroplex nomalaria de Kirk. Oh, that's the a variety cook. that's been. That's a large leaf variety that's been bred yes. for in South Africa for uh, sheep. De Kirk, De South Kirk. Africa, hey. Yes. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you are. Look yeah. at that. Hey? But silver and pink, I'm thinking it could be a really pretty looking <laughs> goat or sheep feed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the goat would be sort of prancing around. Like, yeah. La, 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 la. We, <laughs> we were talking about this before, how, how fowls and, and, and quail are selective in what they'll eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and where roses are planted, uh, you know, in a hedging place or where animals can get to to them through through a fence. They'll go and graze some of this and then they'll go back to the pasture and then they'll go back and, and eat different pasture, provided what's in the pasture is not just clover and rye grass. Yes. It, it needs to be really selective. Yeah. Um, so just this, so a lot of roses are good for grazing sheep and goats or this yep. one in particular? No, you could use all roses. Mm. Why? Yeah. And why do you mention this one? Just because, well, oh, because it responds well to rough pruning. Mm, yeah. Mm. And you'll find the goats and the sheep and the um, well, you know, if you're working with it, people got deer farms, uh, they'll take out the top part, which is you know the first um, the yummy bit, yeah, uh, yeah, hundred hundred um, millimeters, mm. and of course they also know that that's where the real good n- nutrition is, mm. and they're the sort of things that that we can look at, but the animals intuitively know what's good for them. Mm, and it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, all creatures need a varied diet. Mm. Just because we shove them in a paddock and they mm. eat grass, it's not all that they want to eat necessarily. So mm. obviously mm. need different well, nutrients. And mm. Well, Peter Andrews, the gentleman that did a lot of, uh, still doing a lot of work with uh, Harvey Norman, restoring properties, he's written uh, On the Brink and Back from the Brink. Mm. Um, he went and studied racehorse adjustment in, in England and he said that they, they um, had found in England, if you have uh, less than, um, what is it, 80 varieties of herbages and grass in paddocks for adjusting racehorses, um, you, you're going backwards. Wow. Hey? So, you know, that's that, a phenomenal mm. variety. Yeah, yeah. And so that's all different herbages and grasses and clovers and Flowers all that's included, and, mm, mm. Um, but especially herbs, and that's mm. um, restorative um, uh, ability for, for racehorses to, to be mm. adjusted. 
Gee, yeah. it'd be really interesting to watch animals and see what mm. they prefer to forage on. And, yes. and as mm. you were saying, with the chickens at different times of year, they prefer well, different yeah, greens. Yeah, I just thought, yeah. oh, they're just going to eat yeah. you know, what I put in yeah. there. No, mm. guess again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're going yeah. to tell me, no, we don't want that one. Take some yeah. of that out. We want more of that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Really, really, and, really interesting. And the other thing is that I found with the bantams, they'll, they'll go for the grass first thing in the morning. And I'm sure that the chlorophyll in the leaves plays an important mm. part. And even this morning when I let them out, and like, you know, it's as frosty as anything, as cold as anything. No, mate, they're into the grass. And and it's like that dew, which is, or the frosty material or the dew that comes off the plants is obviously important for their system. Mm. And I would guess that it, it has a cleaning out effect, you know. Um, if you... Like dogs and cats eating a bit yeah. of grass. Mm. Yes. Mm. Well, if I can be really in plumber's terms... You you go and smell a chook's poo when he poos, you think, oh, oh, mate, that's you know pretty potent. But again, they're so productive, and this is going on day by day. Mm. Mm. You know, the the, the these Langshan bantams that have been developed in Australia, they'll lay up to two hundred and forty eggs in a year. Well, they've got to be very productive, mm. um, and and their and the hen's whole system is is mm. is. Day by day, processing this as an egg. So they're like an athlete in a way. You say, yeah. so they need a really good diet. Yeah. Well, that's a good description. They're they're, they're actually you'll really see athletes. that in the um, not that anyone can see, but we can describe the quail eggs. They've got slightly duller because they've been laying so much. And I've been giving them all sorts of food, mm. like organic layer pellet crumble and a budgie mix because it's got the millet seed, and they seem to really like that. Mm. And they get greens. And and um, they get the soil to nibble in mm-hmm. as well, so you know to dig in and eat bits out of the ground. But still, they seem to need some added calcium because mm. I think just because they're so productive, the same as the um, Isa Browns just seem to mm. after a couple of years just need so much more additional calcium, like an mm. athlete mm. sort well, of thing. With, with the a, athlete of equally with a, 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 a tray in in the pen where you can put shell grit um, and different finds mm. in shell grit. And I throw stone dust in that as well. And I can come back in an hour later and they've been through the whole thing. It's nearly all gone. Mm. So bluestone stone dust. Oh, well, yeah, you can get um, – um, there's manash stone dust that you can get. Which, um, what's it called, sorry? Manash. What does that mean? It comes from um, – Oh, it's, it's the rock from, dust. Yeah, rock dust. Yeah, yeah, the rock dust. Yep. And it's made of granite and bluestone. Yeah, it comes from WA. And you oh, it's use it bluestone, but it's got granite as it, well, it, is well, it's it? Got a, it's got a lot of different mm. things oh. and lots of um, – The trace one, elements one in it. was just sort of bluestone. Yeah. I, well, I didn't realise you'd give it to the chooks. But oh, yeah. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. And what you're talking about with the yeah. chlorophyll, I mean, you can buy liquid – chlorophyll you know mm-hmm. for humans in in health food shops to help clean you out and mm-hmm. and, and i know mm-hmm. it's definitely something that you can add to the diet of chooks as well mm-hmm. so maybe mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. you know what you're saying about the mm-hmm. going straight for the grass maybe yeah. maybe you're onto something maybe yeah, it is yeah. the chlorophyll well, well we're starting to get free range eggs now and people are saying hey you know look at the color of the yolk in these mm-hmm. things oh yeah yes. the color oh, of the yolks um, as, as we all know yeah but amazing. but I just have a, a bit of a warning bell with that because they they can still intensively allow them to graze in say per mm. number of birds per per hectare. Um, they're still they're better f- off to keep your own if you can. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 I mean, you never really know with the free range unless you can go out to the farm and actually see it. Yes, yeah. mm. you know, right. and the fact yeah. that there's more and more. Free range eggs mm. in supermarkets now. Mm. You just and all sorts of ways around the rules. Absolutely, yes. yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Um, we seem Sadly. to have sparked another um, uh, chicken question. Um, what bites the heads off chooks and leaves head and chook lying there? Foxes. Oh, yeah, I said foxes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, mm. yeah foxes and and you you can get the um, um, falcons. Oh. They're very very quick. Um, I think we don't have that so many. Well, you, I suppose you may. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Well, I would have thought the falcon would actually cart the bird off. No. 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 They just Most times it. they're too heavy for a falcon. Ah. We had falcons getting mm. in. Uh, our son's um, big enclosure, and he had a fantastic enclosure, and it got in a gap in the top. Oh, and there's gee. been a recent study done um, in, in reference to um, fighter design, and they're following the design of the falcons because they know that on descent a falcon can, can travel up to um, anything up to 350 k's an hour. Good. I think I heard descent. that study on the radio. Yeah. They were mm. um, studying how little tiny... I think it was some sort of indicator wings um, yes. that they ruffle at a certain speed or disturbance mm. and, the, and the bird aligns itself better when mm. it gets that little message or something. Mm. So, yeah, they were Yeah, brilliantly designed for manoeuvring. Mm. But they will descend from a, from a height very quickly. The, the peregrines are very good at, at um, uh, being there and gone. Yes. Okay. And if they, if they whip a head off a fowl, sounds terrible, mm. And they haven't got enough strength to lift that body, they won't take it with them. Okay. Mm, but foxes are notorious, aren't they, for yeah, oh, yeah, nipping the their heads off and, and, and taking off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is kind of strange, really. I mean, we've had um, girls taken by foxes and they take the whole thing. Yeah. But, uh, That's yeah, a, what they, I got yeah. told by an elderly lady friend is that they do that when, this is what she said, told me anyway, that the when the mother has, is it cubs or kittens, the foxes? I think it's kittens, isn't it, or something? Anyway, when they have babies, that they'll take the the um, the chickens, the little fowls, back to their um, den. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's when they take them or something. Yeah. I don't Otherwise, know, they just kill them and yeah. maybe they just the, want the, the head. The killing instinct is extremely strong in foxes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. They're, they're cunning as well. Mm. Like they'll, oh, yes. they'll watch and wait mm-hmm. for months. We had um, uh, a couple of Isa Browns and mm. um, they took to... Take, you know, taking themselves off to the compost heap, which mm. is sort of around the corner from the main garden, and Lovely, off, the, off they'd go. And um, they did that, you know, for a month. And usually, when we were out in the garden, we don't let them out otherwise. It's in broad daylight as well. Broad daylight, and mm. yeah, Fox was just in and out. Oh. Took them super, you super don't quick. But them in broad daylight. Well, I mean, we're in the bush, so we're mm. surrounded by bush. Mm. But I mean, mm. even in the inner suburbs, you know, I think there's mm. something like six. Six foxes per square kilometre or oh, something. Yes. So, and mm-hmm. you see them all the time, don't That's you? That's right. Mm. So, they, and they just they watch and wait mm. for mm. ages, you know. And, mm. and I sort of let them out a little bit more often. I mean, they've got a massive area that they can go in, but of course, naturally they want to come out of the gate. Mm. Um, and um, I tend to let them wander around. And Ray's always, you know, reticent and saying, you know, the foxes will be watching mm. and waiting. And, mm. and you know that they are, but there's kind of that fine balance, isn't, yeah. isn't it, you know, between wanting them to have a good, have life. A good life and yeah. wander around. And mm. now they've taken to uh, – we've got the two old silver wine dotes. The, mm. the, they're in the uh, top 1% of eldest chickens in Australia, apparently, <laughs> according to the bird vet. They're 11. They haven't been laying for about wow. a year now. And wow. um, so they just tend to, you know, in wonder. Oh, totally. And, you know, um, Dottie has lost all her tail feathers. And, oh. yeah, so she, she's sort of, um, yeah, they, they haven't returned. So she looks a bit bedraggled and whatever. But, yeah, they've taken to um, – um, making themselves at home in the glass house now, so I open the doors Crazy. for them, and yeah, they love. I've put a bit of hay in there for mm. them, and but of course, Spotty needs to sit on my seat. But yeah, so I mean, those foxes—they're they're around everywhere. I mean, mm. we see mm. them often, mm. um, and certainly see their scat often as well. Have you so seen them? that's a bit. 
More yeah. Well, the the popu- yeah. population, they've done studies in the population in Melbourne um, uh, and, and the population of foxes is very high. When we mm. used to go to the Flower and Garden Show, we'd take the silkies in and the first year we were in there, the gardeners in there said to us, hey, take your fowls home. <laughs> and we said, oh, why? He said, mate, mate, he said, just look up in the trees and he said, they're watching you from up in the trees. <laughs> And these guys are in and out of the garden every day and they'd see, they see you know, what yeah. goes yeah. on. Yeah. And um, they said the fox population, even in the exhibition building gardens, is, is really quite wow. high. Mm. Mm. Because they'll get, they'll get to and get possums. Yes, and, that's what um, I was thinking they must other, be eating. Other, mm-hmm. you know, other wildlife and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. And um, you, you, you'll pick up possum carcasses. We see them sometimes around our place and you think, you know, what, what got that? And... You could just about yeah. – if it's not a possum, it's a cat. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And the cat population, we've got wild cats around us. We know they're there. Mm. Yeah. They'll get magpies out of a tree, mm. yeah, and, and they'll wait for them in the night time. Now, mm. if you want something really cunning, that's the old cat. He's, mm. He just waits and waits. Well, I mean, mm. those – the figures of, you know, each cat kills something like 26 critters a night. Oh, yes. Mm. It's, it's You know, it's no mm. wonder that wild cats are devastating our mm. natural mm. populations. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's really quite sad. We caught one off at my parents' place, um, a um, wild cat, when we were up for festivities. And we, my, Dad and I both went out at different times, just after, just after dusk, right outside the back door at my folks' place, which is on 40 acres of land surrounded by farmland. Mm. And... Um, we both saw this cat and thought, gee, it looked like just a little stray cat. And we thought it must be one of the neighbours, rang all the neighbours, no, none of them owned a grey and white cat. So we put a trap out and instantly it was in the trap. Yeah. I think it was just mm. getting yeah. to that slightly hungry time of the year. Mm. But, um, it looks so clean, but uh, um, my mum um, has a gardener that helps her and she came, she came ironically called Karen, would you believe? <laughs> but um, she came down and said, oh, no, that's... She said, oh, I think that cat was dumped in, as a young cat, male, dumped about, you know, probably about October when all the kittens come and, and someone had dumped it and had just been working its way around the countryside. Mm. He said, it looks so clean. It doesn't look like a feral cat. Mm. And she said, no, because it's had a really good summer, there's been lots of mice and rats. And, right. And mm. so, yeah, we just, we've just, we've only, mice have only just moved in because we just started to see a few dead birds and thought, yep. oh, what's that? What's going on there? Yeah. So anyway, that was caught. So. We've got a cat lady at, at Kilmore and she gathers all the stray cats. Right. And advertises that she will take them from people and she's got this huge enclosure that she keeps them in. Okay. And then she'll find homes, yep. mm. and, and, and which is really, really good, really, mm. well, mm. cool. Um, and she'll only let them go to people that have got an enclosure yep. mm. that they keep mm. them in. Excellent. So she's very selective mm. in the way she then farms them on or takes them on. Mm-hmm. And she is, the process is going on all the time, this cat lady. Mm. She'll get cats off people that have caught cats. Yeah, I think, I mean, even, you know, people who've got cats as pets who are really well fed, it's Mm. still their natural instinct Mm. to go out and kill. So Mm. I get really disappointed when I come home. I mean, in the Bend of Islands where we are, there's no cats and dogs allowed. Mm. Um, So, you know, rarely, yeah, no Mm. dogs either. Mm. Um, So rarely will you see a cat and if you do, it's, you know, either it's it's been dumped, Mm. yeah, Mm. and um, they're usually quite easy to catch. But, um, you know, in the surrounding kangaroo ground area, when I drive home at night, I feel really disappointed when I see, you know, people's cats out and about. Mm. Just Everywhere. They just should automatically be brought in, yeah. shouldn't mm. they? I mean, the, mm. I think there is a law in some of, some of the mm. councils have got a law yes. where you have to bring the cats in. I thought in, for I sure there would be a law in kangaroo ground. No, I don't think so. Mm, I'm really yeah. surprised. Is, it, is there for you, Pan, down at 
Oh, look, I don't know. I haven't had a cat in years and years. Yeah. Mm. But, um, it's, yeah. It's just the... I mean, it's a, it's a really difficult thing. Where my parents live, there's no way they could have a cat, even though they've got lots of rats and mice. So they, mm. they use bait because they don't know what else to do mm. because they have a huge rat and mouse problem. But... The um, the, you know, the cat in the city with the the rats, mm. it, it's it's just it's a real problem. Where yeah. I buy my chicken and mm. all that sort of food from, um, every time you know it's like a little central meeting place where mm. everyone tells their stories to the family that owns this shop on Sydney Road, and and they oh, say, I thought oh, you're talking about you? the rats, a central no, no, meeting no, no, place no, for oh, the rats. Sorry, no, no, no. Um, and everyone tells their stories, and and he said, no, it's a huge, huge problem at the moment. Oh, it is. I mean, control. I was out in the garden the other night, and um, or the other evening, and I was. Uh, sitting there having a bit of a rest and this one rat sort of came along and started hoeing into the where we just give the the two girls a bit of um bird seed of an evening mm. and they'd mm. gone to bed and there was a bit left over and a rat came out and I was like They're oh yeah and, and then mm. next thing another Terrible. rat came out before I knew it there were four rats there which mm. made me think that you know you were talking about the meeting ground I was yeah. like this was like the yeah. meeting point and they're all there having a chat to each other and I was just like guys oh, I'm right here <laughs> you know and the same with the mice you know so they're they're, and I mean because we can't mm. have a cat you know it's yeah. Kind of, um, it's yeah, it's a tricky situation. But we've actually got one of those electronic ones because we've tried all sorts. We've tried mm. the poison. Rats are so cunning. Tell you me know, something that works, just, please. Well, <laughs> these electronic ones, um, electronic traps. Yeah, so it kills them mm. basically. Mm. So you yeah. put in, Killing I think food? it's four double D um, batteries, batteries. Mm-hmm. and. Um, it's like a, a mini tunnel and they you put a bit of food at the front of the tunnel and then mm-hmm. you put some right at the very back and in between mm. the front side of the tunnel and the back side mm. of the tunnel there's a metal plate and when mm. they run across the metal plate they get zapped. And that, I'm telling you, the first night we put it out, within an hour we'd caught five mice. Mm. Five. Wow. So that's that's what we, I mean. We were sitting in the lounge room and they would just be dancing around us, and mm. that's when we knew. Okay, our so whole we house have, has got mice underneath that we know they're starting to come up through our cool cupboard through the. Oh, see the vent sort of thing. Oh. Oh, oh, we're in a mud. Off. We're in a muddy, so we don't yeah, even right. you know. Yeah. So they get they get zapped yeah. by this. They get zapped, plate. and but because they're zapped, in, and because, because you've got the, the food. food. Now, see, the problem is, is, but how do you stop them? Like what I found with traps is that because I've got so much food all around, they just won't come down out of the trees to any traps. Oh, I see. So, you, yeah, in the garden. I may have yeah, to yeah. wait till after the Unless you put something in there that's high fat or something that they want for winter. Yeah. But, yeah, and then because, that's you know, there's no poison problems. involved, you can just put them out and then the kookaburras or, you know, oh, yeah. will come down and Chicken take them. So, yeah. so, so it zaps them straight off? Oh, then? two seconds, Kaput. gone. So Good. where did you get that, A.B.? Uh, Mitre 10. Okay, I'll go look for that. Yeah, those. so no, they're, hmm. they're definitely... I haven't seen those. In fact, we're going to get another one, I think, and put it outside as well for the for the rats. Mm. But the rats are more cunning. We haven't caught a rat in it yet. And oh, we've got our yeah, rats stealing the all the socks the and the yeah. and the um, the tea towels and gloves from... Yeah, they... T- what, to make their nest cosy or something? Yeah, to make the nest cosy. One night oh we could hear this God. God Almighty noise, this bang, 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 and we're getting up and we're looking around, couldn't find it. Every time we got out of bed, of course, it would stop. It would and stop. then go back to bed and you hear it again. And finally <laughs> we found that the, the rat had taken one of the wooden spoons. It must have had, I don't know, a bit of food or something on it still. And it was trying to drag it behind one of the cupboards. And oh, it was just great. going clang, clang, clang into the cupboard. So, you've got worse yeah. rats than me. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, we've got so many 
odd oh. socks because yeah, in, invariably well, you'll find a I've rat nest a and rat they've taking. Oh really? Sock. Oh, you mustn't have smelly feet like us. Well, we've got bush rats as well as normal ratus 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 Norwegian, and we've got also. I was reading about them because we saw something at my parents' place and we looked up, we googled it. And it said that bush rats like to stay further away from the house. Mm. So the ones close to the house were the rat, rattus, rattus, mm. supposedly. Well, they they, they, they work in territories, but yeah. but they will they will wander mm. in, into other other um, animals' territories, like mm. other mm. varieties of rats' territory. Mm. The other the other real challenge, quite frankly, is when you go to a food store and you see the bales of straw that are brought in, mm. they're bringing mice and rats yeah. in yeah. with those bales yeah, yeah, of straw. For sure. So the cross, mobile home, the cross um, yeah. genetic. Um, World is is still mm. happening and and keeping that vigor going. There was there's um I don't know if any of you you probably not in the same area but I used I always go to Bulleen Nursery Bulleen Nut and Garden Centre and there was a beautiful cat called Snowy. It was a stray cat and they didn't really want cats there but this cat just kind of it was just serendipity adopted them. In, yeah. yeah. And Snowy used to live pretty much in the straw in her younger yeah. days. When she got a bit older, she came inside. But, and she just used to stay there and live in that straw. And as soon as they'd get an order for a bale of pea straw or something, she'd be ready, waiting yeah. and yeah. ready to get those mice. Yeah. So. Yeah. She knew where they were. Yeah, yeah. she was yeah, just like, oh, I'm here waiting for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such a cute little symbiotic relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Now, I do have uh, Hugh from the Yarra Valley rang in last uh, week and uh, Roger Elliott who was on did promise to uh, do a little bit of homework for Hugh um, so uh, Roger did get back to me so Hugh I hope you're listening you were wanting to know if the Fakraya Fetida um, was uh, actually um, uh, a um, uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll come out eventually yeah, <laughs> <laughs> never even heard of this plant. No, he wanted to know whether it was um, an Australian native plant. Oh, I finally got it I out. was going to say that, but I thought, yeah. no, surely we yeah. know that. No, no. It, well, the answer is that no, it isn't. Um, it's uh, a species of flowering plant that's native to the Caribbean and northern South America. It is widely cultivated and reportedly it's naturalised in a lot of places, including Australia. So it, it can also be found in India, parts of Africa, Portugal, Thailand and Florida and some of the Oceanic Islands. So um, it's managed to naturalise itself all over the place and, as I say, also in Australia, but um, it isn't officially an Australian native. Now, um, the plant is cultivated in subtropical and tropical regions for products and as an ornamental plant for gardens and its leaves are used to produce a natural fibre similar to sisal, which is why... Uh, the plant is also known as Mauritius hemp. So, so Macraea. Um, Macraea. Macraea. Hmm? Macraea. Fucraea. Oh, Fucraea. 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 I misheard you. Fucraea. I Yeah, yeah. No. So there you go, Hugh. It isn't actually an Australian native, but uh, it's certainly naturalised It could here. be. Yeah. <laughs> Just because, I mean, it has a similar form to... Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's right. right. Okay. Now, the other thing that I really must do is... Uh, quickly go to an announcement. Faithful Gardeners, it's time to turn on and tune in to our annual Radiothon on Sunday the 25th of June from 7.30 to 10am and help keep your favourite gardening show growing. Listen in on Sunday the 25th of June and call 
419-8377 for great deals on seeds, new organic products, gardening tools, nursery vouchers, magazine subscriptions and new green focus book titles. Or make a tax-deductible donation to support 3CR Community Radio. Join us at the station after the show from 10 to 12 noon to pick up your prizes, have a cuppa and say hello. Dig deep for the 2017 3CR Gardening Radiothon, 7.30 till 10am on Sunday, 25th of June. There's nothing I like better than working in my garden, helping all the plants grow with tender loving care. And that is a reminder to you all that that is only two weeks away, A.B., Radiothon day. Two weeks away to lemon slice. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. I've already made it. Excellent. Um, But yes, we will be on air that uh, that morning on the twenty fifth of June from seven thirty, running through until ten o'clock. So uh, a longer program, but that of course is to uh, and we'll have a full studio of people, including you, AB, rushing people rushing in and out with a thousand books to. Yeah, Diana's coming down to join us as well, but uh, we. Have so many amazing goodies. Hey, um, Pam, what's with the lemon slice? Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, oh. who cares about the gardening box? Yeah. Come on, talk about the lemon slice. Regular <laughs> listeners know, Graham, that if they come into the station when yeah. we come off air, um, anytime from ten o'clock yeah. through until twelve noon, yeah. um, they can have a cup of tea or coffee with us, and they can get one of my homemade lemon slices. There you are, mate. So there that you go, be... <laughs> tangy and delicious. In, in fact, right? the staff yep. here tell me that I'm not allowed to do the radiothon unless I bring in the lemon slice. So. <laughs> but we do have we have lots of fun and uh, believe you me that the products this year is amazing, absolutely amazing. We've got some really super specials that I'm not going to let on about yet. But uh, oh, drat! Why not? <laughs> but uh, do please save up all your uh, dollars and cents because this is our one and only annual fundraising raising for the year. This is uh, where you, the listeners, support not only 3CR as a station, but uh, the 3CR Gardening Show in particular. Um, This is where we get um, all our basic running costs for the next 12 months. And, of course, it costs a fortune uh, just in the the time slot of us being on air. It's cost a fortune in particularly, as you can imagine, in electricity charges, but there's all sorts of other associated costs. So uh, we really do rely on the support of our wonderful listeners each year for the Radiothon, and uh, it's two weeks away. So, and, and we're one of the, you know, we're one of the only programs really which has got a lot of product that can actually, absolutely. you know, we can mm. sell to listeners. Yep. So, which um, means in a way, we support, you know, some now, of the if, other programs as well. If there's anybody well. out there from uh, any of the pest control companies, we'd love some donations <laughs> yeah, yeah. of things for rats and mice. Yeah. We really need. Have you, are you listening out there? Adams Pest Control and Dawson's and all those yeah. people. Rat traps, yes. really, yeah. really good rat yes. <laughs> We'll have them on special for all the listeners. It, it is a wonderful way of picking up because everything has been. Um, we we have wonderful, wonderful. Um, uh, well, sponsors who provide us with with all this uh, wonderful product uh, free of charge because they want to support um, the gardening show, and so uh, we're very very grateful to our sponsors for all of this. But it also means that uh, the listeners can get 
cheap product because it will be uh, cheaper than what you can buy it. Um, it's perfect for garden clubs, for prizes and giveaways. It's perfect for individuals, for um, birthday presents, Christmas presents, or presents for themselves or for their garden. But there'll be so Probably much garden in classes, Pam. Oh, <laughs> look, there'll be, there will be. There'll be workshops. There'll be books um, by the ton. We've got amazing books this year. Um, there'll be, you name it, lots and lots of garden product like fertilisers and specialty products products um it just the list goes on and on and on the courtyard is always jam-packed isn't it mm. it always it's just is exciting to mm. stand exactly there and, yeah, true yeah, yep. what's there yep so so folks we're relying on you tune in on the 25th ring in with a donation grab the goodies that you want and then come in and see us at 10 o'clock and so eat lemon slice. love to see you yeah and lemon slice don't forget the lemon slice <laughs> Okay, we should go to our first caller, and we have our good friend Alex in Beaconsfield. Good morning, Alex. Oh, good morning, Pam. Yes, and it's good to be heading for that radiothon, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And they should be supporting the jazz people too, because they've been there for 40 years now. They have, they have, yes. We've been here about 38 years, Alex, so we're not far behind. (laughs) That's good. Pam... uh... I feel as though I qualify as a mug gardener because I've got to ask questions about rhubarb. <laughs> okay, go oh, ahead. You just put it in the ground and it grew. But uh, I I changed its location last year and I bought a good corm, a well-produced corm, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's I've got a couple of problems. It seems to have divided itself. It seems to have produced some pups around it. Right. And I wonder, should I just leave them this season? It only went in last winter. And uh, I'm wondering, should I pull them out? Because I really only need one. And it's it's good stout stalks. So uh, should I cut them off this year and just depend on one? Or should I leave the a clump in there? Personally, if it was me, I'd let it build up for another year to really get some strength into the plant. What do you think, Karen? I, I would agree because often you get a bit excited, or I have in the past, and, th- and think, oh, I'll just give that to someone else because I can, you know, someone else wants a bit of that nice rhubarb that's done well. And then you pull it up and it doesn't have a really good root system. So, yeah, I, from past bad experience, I'd say leave it a bit longer. Yeah, that's, that's good then. I can leave that a year. Okay. The next problem is that it's, some of them are going to seed. Oh yes, you just That's cut all. off the flower head. Mm-hmm. So you just cut just that take off? that whole stalk mm-hmm. off. Oh gee, you're like Kevin Hines. <laughs> relax. <laughs> it's amazing what you learn from experience, <laughs> Alex. Yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll do that, and I won't worry about it. Look, I'll slip in one more question. Yep, sure. I've got a uh, a deck with at the back of the house, and the Neighbour next door had uh, fishbone fern, and I can't believe that it comes a couple of metres mm. the deck and pops up. Yes. Mm. I don't really want to pull the deck up, and if I did that, I'd only be able to, you know, it'd happen again. Yep. Is there any toxin or anything that I could <laughs> dab on it to...? Uh, no, because it's got those balls that... 
keep you know there's nothing going to kill those so mm. you really can you get underneath the deck no no mm. it's under it's under the deck that's a complete pain and next door is a bit difficult too i'll just have to tolerate that well it's probably one of those rare cases when i would suggest glyphosate mm. and just continuously whenever you see if one of the ferns pop through just yeah just touch and it with a bit of glyphosate Karen, and hopefully it'll so finally weaken it i wasn't sure that glyphosate would work on a fern yeah, mm. I'm sure it will. If you cut it, yeah. if you cut it and then cut put it, it straight yeah. on, yes, yeah. But right is that going to spread into the neighbours? You don't want to fall out with the neighbours. Oh, I doubt it. No, no. no. The, the other possible way is to get get um, even some plastic and cut it and then lay it over the top of it and don't give it a chance to grow where you are. But it's under the deck. It's coming up yeah. under the deck. You might yeah. be able to the plastic yeah. between yeah. the... It depends on how wide the slats are. Mm. What, could yeah, you well, not pull up a slat? probably three millimetres gap between the, oh. yeah. the deck. You, so might, you might have to pull up a couple. I might end up having yep. to take one of those off to get... You to might it. have yeah, to, like I think, it. Alex. But mm. uh, it's it's a menace of our... I mean, the roots mm. just go everywhere. Yeah. It's it's yeah. a real menace. Yeah, I'm surprised that it could travel a couple of metres and then pop up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm oh, enjoying no, the shelter under the deck. Yes, yeah. that's right. It's Absolutely. nice and shady. Almost mm. ideal Perfect. conditions yep. for it. Mm. Yeah. And thanks for all you lot coming in. I hope you get good support for the Radiothon because on what on the, all the extra time we're paying you to come in on Sunday, <laughs> yeah. we need the money. <laughs> good on you, Ali. Well, thanks very much. Okay, bye. bye. If you'd like to join us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot at the moment. So do give us a call. That number is 94190155. We have A.B. Bishop, Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm and Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design in the studio. So do give us a call, 94190155. AB, you've brought some plants in. I have, and one of the first things which I'd love to chat about is this little takeaway container which we were passing around the um, studio earlier. So it's a, it looks like you might get your fried rice in it. <laughs> but in actual fact, what I've got with me here is um, one of 21,000 <laughs> um, little hellebore um, tissue culture plant. So this has been um, propagated and uh, grown in Germany from, um, you know, tissue culture. So from a, a single cell, um, it's developed into this tiny little plant, which is probably, I don't know, what, about four centimetres. And it's in this a solution of agar gel and um it's certainly you never see things like you, you absolutely really never see, yeah. So uh, where I work at Lachman Nursery, um, They've brought in 21,000 of these um, tissue culture plants and, and the girls were all there on, on you know, during the week starting to pot them all up in the glass house and um, to keep them safe. And it's one of, you know, this particular one um, is it's one of the HGC varieties. I don't know if any of you know the hellebores, but it's called the Helleborus Gold Collection. And um, so each of these particular ones is bred from, you know, they, they'll plant out thousands and thousands of um, plants and it might be selected from 10,000 plants. So they're extremely um, highly bred for quality and um, and then they take them in and breed from them. So and Is the Helleborus Gold, is that also the ones that are bred for really... Spectacular flowers, beautiful flowers. Yeah, that variety you have there. What what is it? Um, what is it renowned for? 
Uh, well, it's pretty much for the flowers and for the for the vigor of the plant as well. But yes. they're just yeah. I mean, I think most hellebores are pretty hardy anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if I've brought, bought myself a few from um, from Mifkis this this year mm-hmm. because I thought, oh yeah, no, I'll put them in. They've got um, a particular alkaloid in them which makes them deer resistant and mm-hmm. and they're poisonous. Oh, so I wow. thought, oh fantastic, the rabbits will ignore them as well then. Okay. And so I've put them in, and yep, sure enough, the rabbits did ignore wow, them. But fantastic. who came in? Of course. The cockies came in and decided, oh, let's play a game with AB of pull them out of the pot. So they'd just pull what? them out and I'd plant them back in. Finally, I had to move them, you know, out of reach because it was just, just becoming a game, which was rather frustrating. But yeah, so they, they are deer and I assume maybe wallaby resistant as well. well you better start breeding um, some cockies that are, that are, um, <laughs> oh, gonna, I tell be, you, um, genetically geared up so they won't attack pots. Oh, it's, it's quite incredible. But yeah, so, we we were, we were pretty excited to see these arrive on Monday, so in the nursery. So, yeah, we've had 21,000 of them, so they'll... That's a lot of potting up. It's a lot of potting up, but, um, you know... Are they any more delicate when they've just come out of that little... Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They don't have... Because they've just been in this completely sterile environment and they've just been you know, shipped halfway across the world from, mm. from Germany and they don't have any sclerophyll whatsoever. So they have to be kept in these, you know, mist houses mm. um, for a few weeks and before finally they'll move them into the actual mm. shade houses and, and start hardening them up. So It'd be pretty yeah. disastrous if you lost 21,000 plates. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean... Guarding them really carefully. And the thing about these is, you know, they are bred for their flowers. So you know, you know, they're not the seed-grown the seed grown ones, mm. um, which mm. don't necessarily... Throw produce, back to yeah, the they yeah. might throw back to the parent, but yeah. Um, yeah. So it's um, the HGC ones are fantastic, and you've got the the Niger um, species, the Belladia or the Cross Belladia, um, and but I mean the ones that I got are the um, the oh, what they used to be called the Orientalis. I think they're the oh, yes. um, the cross hybridists now, yeah. and, and the and green spotted ones. Will, will yeah. these all flower in the winter? Mm. Uh, they well hellebores. So hellebores grow in mm. winter they mm. you know they stop growing in the warmer months and um, start growing when it gets cold mm. so basically you can't have too cold an environment for hellebores mm-hmm. so you know Tasmania and Victoria are fantastic mm. and they'll mm. grow inland the whole way up the coast you know even as far as Toowoomba you mm. know where, where really? it's cooler yeah so it's the humidity that affects them more than anything mm. Mm. Um, but the extremely hardy like the um, they prefer a, 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 a I suppose dry shade so a position where they're in shade in summer and in in full sun in, in winter, so when, when they're yeah, in flowering time. In some quarters they're marketed as winter roses, aren't they? Well, but that's right, yeah. Roses, well, because yeah. when in England, mm. well, in Europe, mm. you know, that's when they're flowering during mm-hmm. during their during their winter over Christmas and mm. Lenten rose. So, yeah, so definitely, you know, and they're, they're incredible plants, just having done a mm. bit of research on them, never having grown them before, but always been attracted to their, you know, their beautiful flowers mm. um, and very hardy. And beautiful planted en masse, absolutely yeah. oh, yes. quite incredible. Um, my experience with, it, with them is select the place that you put them because they can be really tough. Vigorous. Yeah. And, yeah, and take invasive. over a bit. Yeah, we had some in our garden that the brown snakes like to be in. <laughs> so um, they've been sort of chifted. Right. Once anymore. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, really, there's yeah. there's quite a, an astonishing array of plants that do well in those dry, shady conditions, aren't yeah. there? I mean, oh, we, yes. do, we do yes. moan that, oh, you know, nothing grows mm. in shade. But I mean, hellebores, really. I they mean, you can't them, yeah. beat mm. the hellebores come through for those the dr- incredible come flowers. Come through the drought, all right? Yeah. They come through our 13 year drought up at Kilmore. Mm. Yeah. They are really tough. 
Yeah. I, I think um, I'll, I'll be going off on a visit to uh, Post Office Farm soon because theirs will all be in flower up there. I, I got my mm. yeah hybridists mm. from that's, them. That's so. the Post Office Farm at Wood End. Yeah, 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 yeah at okay. Wood End. Yeah, so yeah, that's the place um, to get them. Yeah. and a good place to see them in flower. Mm. So you know mm. you know exactly what you're buying. And mm. um, yes, yeah, so yeah. I've been warned that mine won't flower this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the tube ones, you mean? Yeah, mm. yeah. So mm. I, I and I've put mine in pots mm-hmm. um just mm-hmm. but they do really well in pots they'll last do in they? pots okay. for years and years okay mm-hmm. yeah fantastic yeah. so I, i've put them in quite a large pot and that makes them quite nice fine. for people say in in uh, apartments or absolutely um, yeah yeah or limited garden space so yeah. that's, that's good to know yeah. actually because i've never tried them in pots i didn't know that okay no they do well mm. Mm. yeah but no there's a there's a huge range of varieties and now's the time to be going out to nurseries and having a look at them and seeing what flower colors you like and absolutely yeah no yep. wonder they so i think i saw the um what's the acronym for these again sorry uh crisp christmas no oh. the um oh the, the hdc hdc i yeah. think i saw these Somewhere I saw these avatars, I think, as a kind of a long-term cut flower in a way. So a bloomer pot, you know, give it to someone as a as a present when you go mm. somewhere or, you know, visiting someone in hospital or somewhere like that. And the idea was that they would just keep on blooming and blooming and, and um, last in the pot as a – they were being advertised that way as a long-term oh, okay. cut mm. flower. Yep. I think I saw that, but I don't know where I read that. Yeah, mm. but they will still actually only mm. flower through the winter months. Absolutely, yeah. Yes. Well, some well, – they flower, they yeah. come back again like, like cyclamen sometimes can – you know, mm. they can sometimes yes. rot off if they're watered too much the next year. But yeah, but if you look after higher. a cyclamen, the same, yes. same yeah, idea. True, true. Yeah, yeah. 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 So at least with these, you get the leaves somewhat. Yeah, so yeah. most of them are sort of flowering June, July, through to spring. Um, yes. I think uh, the variety pink frost will might even go through to our Christmas. So wow. it'll it'll just mm. yeah keep going. Mm. Uh, so yeah, but beautiful, beautiful plants and and hardy. I mean, I think they they um, they're hardier than they look. In some regards, mm. definitely, you know, especially with the beautiful What's the flowers. the Milky Way you have amongst all these plants in here? We haven't got quite a forest here, listeners, this morning. Sometimes we get it like a forest. Oh, the Milky Way! Oh, <laughs> Milky the, the, the Wisteria. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't help but bring this plant in because I was exploring. <clears throat> excuse me, I was exploring the nursery during the week, and. Um, came across this wastringia, which I hadn't actually seen before, and it was only about 50 centimetres high and, and round. It was just the most incredible plant. And um, I spoke to the guys at work. I said, oh, you know, have you been pruning that one back? And they hadn't. So it's just got this incredible, naturally compact, okay. round form. So I can see why it's really popular for That's topiary. for wastringias too, yeah. because they can be pretty wild. Absolutely, yes. yeah. <laughs> and the thing, so it's a wastringia rigida. Mm-hmm. Um, Milky Way, and it's got a much finer and smaller leaf um, than the mm. Fruticosa. Like and a little thyme plant Absolutely. It, is. Mm. it totally it very is like much a little like thyme plant. And they're, they're pretty tough, aren't they? Oh, extremely yeah. tough, like really drought-hardy and, and, mm. and frost-tolerant, you know, as with mm. most plants when established. You know, yeah. you can't just chuck them out in the middle of winter and expect mm. them to survive. But I was just completely thrown by the, the natural shape of it, mm. you know. It, mm. was, it was just a perfect – it was almost like it had been clipped mm. into a topiary ball mm. and they just left it alone. So, yeah, that's definitely one – um, mm. Worth thinking about, and I think it's um, sort of it's comparable to um, the Aussie box. Mm-hmm. Yes, so it's a really you know nice compact form. So if you can't get your hands on the Aussie box, um, yeah, the, the Milky Way doesn't have roots like the Aussie, bo- Aussie box, though, does it? Oh, I don't know mm. actually, Aussie, and, Aussie and who knows? It might even be the same plant. You know, yeah. just a just a different uh, cultivar name. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, the Aussie yeah, box so is pretty pretty tough too. Pretty pretty but vigorous. You've, you've got to control it though. Yeah, I'd say we've got some hedges at our place, and it's amazing the root bases on mm-hmm. it, and they're so tough in the drought. They really are. Yeah. Hmm. What else have you got? Uh, what have I got? Oh well, let's um, let's talk about another native, shall we? <laughs> so this um, beautiful strappy leaf foliage. So this is a lamandra longifolia, but it's actually a fine leaf version. It's un- 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 yes, very fine. it is totally unrecognisable. So this lamandras, is, but that's amazing. Yeah, so this is um, verde. It is so mm. lamandra longifolia verde, V E R D A Y, and this one is comparable to um, Tanika, which a lot of people know, oh, yes, and it's got that really beautiful fine foliage so you know semi upright and semi weeping so Mm -hmm. to me it really is quite perfect really good um, plant for stabilizing soil so if you've got if you've got embankments or whatever um, Mm. that'll quickly create a matting root system and um, small flowers so you know you can use it in gardens if you've got kids and whatever so you're Mm. not going to have those tall Mm. Prickly flowers, you know, um, flower spikes how, coming. How above, tall does so. it get? Um, this one gets about um, fifty centimeters, so yeah. forty-five to fifty. And um, it's yeah, very elegant. That yeah, foliage. and the thing I find about these real fine form lamandras is, I reckon you can use them instead of um, the native grasses because a lot of the time the the native grasses, of course, you love that wavy, beautiful effect, but a lot of the poas and whatnot can brown off and become, yeah. you know, quite ratty and ugly. Whereas these, they keep their greenness but it's they green. they also mm. allow that mm. really beautiful movement as well mm. so i think that's why mm. more and more landscapers are using mm. them in the mm. gardens and mm. i mean again on mass under trees or whatever looks quite spectacular so for beautiful yeah. movement in your garden yeah lamandra mm. verde yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's very pretty. but yeah so it is um comparable to the tanika that you... would also be nice that foliage would be nice when you had a big mass of it as a cut flower Attitude, you know, you know, as a foliage, you oh, cut flowers. Absolutely, you know, instead, yep. like people use grass tree, yes, foliage. But I mean, yes. that's obviously very difficult to get. But yep. that would be so easy to. Do you know? To do grow. you know what the word tanika means? No, I don't. But no. I'm sure you're going to tell us. No, no, no. I don't. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, there, there is an absolutely beautiful rose, a white rose called tanika. Oh yes, and mm. it's it's very full. And when that's put in in the, the spring or autumn rose shows, like in Melbourne, mate, it never gets beaten. It's just an amazing rose and probably has about 70 petals in it. Gosh. And it really is just full. I've never thought of the amount of petals in a rose. Yeah, what, what does a normal rose have? How many petals? Oh, Not that there's a normal rose, but... Yeah, well, like an average from singles, yep. like, like this here, which is um, um, knockout, up to, yeah, probably up to 70 petals. Okay. Yeah. So would this be a David Austin rose? No, it's been around for quite a while. And uh, from memory, it was bred in Holland. Okay. Um, and it was, was, I think they were hoping it would turn into a um, cut flower variety. Yep. Because when you've got 70 petals in, in, in a full bloom, That's a they very hold full... on very well yes. and hold on very well in the vase. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm. Oh, Graham, actually, you're the person to ask. Um, a colleague of colleague at work was um, asked they've got a standard rose mm-hmm. and they didn't know how to prune it and you know I gave my pretty you know mm. dismal answer but mm. the amount of exp- experience I've had pruning standard roses is, is not great mm. so come on yeah well a standard rose is no different than a bush on, on top of a stem mm-hmm. I don't know why they call them standards they're more tree roses and and, and you with a standard rose you're better off to prune it back and leave about 30 percent uh, of the wood on the plant, mm-hmm. 
okay? Because if they get too big, they can become cumbersome in the wind. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, you really need to stake it properly with a metal stake. Um, so I recommend to people they take and I only leave about 30% on. Okay. So okay. bring it right back. Yep. Yeah. And then just do the usual, cut out any dead, mm. diseased, crossing over wood. Yep. And, yeah. Just encourage yep. – do you encourage um, – growth into the centre of it as well because you want to create that beautiful ball shape so well, you think you sort of would whereas with the normal bush rose you'd sort of be cutting it out of the middle mm. of it. Yeah, you're right. You, to get that nice form, mm. if you like that full form on, on the head, on the top, you can leave some of the, the, the um, new growth inside the head mm -hmm. but not a lot. Okay. Take out the old stuff because yep. roses always flower best on their new wood. Mm. That's the purpose of pruning. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Now, Karen, you've got a couple of dates coming up. I have actually. It's the same day, unfortunately, as the um, as the radiothon. Okay. Um, well, I say unfortunately because people might be concentrating on that. Although one is in the afternoon. So oh, well, there you go. Yes. So <laughs> we've got a, a class in the morning on uh, bush foods or bush herbs in the city. So learning about which native food plants you can grow in the city, so a variety of herbs and foods, like little berries and things like that, and ones that are able to be grown in pots, small spaces, and people can walk around my garden and see how they're growing in those spaces and learn how to dry them and cook with them and, and you know, just how to really use them in their, in their everyday cooking. And then the afternoon we've got a slightly longer class. That The morning's a two-hour class from 10 till 12, the afternoon's one thirty till 4, so that's a walk around the garden again with notes. And this is looking at plants for permaculture. So looking at plants as understories. So looking at what's surviving in, sh in shade, in semi-shade, how things are fitting together and kind of seeing plants established and learning how, how to squeeze those into your own garden and, and how to squeeze in as much as possible, which I guess is what city permaculture is all about. <laughs> and it's what your and garden is so good at as well. I mean, And, the and where's your yeah. garden? Oh, Pasco Vale South, so Pasco vale northern south. suburbs of Melbourne. Yes, yes. What address? Mm. Uh, so it's at 22 Lochinvar Street, L-O-C-H-I-N-V-A-R, mm -hmm. Lochinvar Street, Pasco Vale South. Mm. But the best way to check those two classes out is to go to the website, so edible eden design website mm. go to classes and events mm. and then you'll see you'll see that i'm on the radio this morning with all mm. these lovely people <laughs> we put all those things up just so people can and your see what's going on your street's not far off melville road is it no it's very close to just behind melville road yeah, yeah. yes so people can take a tram number yeah. 55 you can get a tram number 55 okay yeah, yeah. in the city yeah. yeah or follow the tram tracks yeah follow the tram tracks yeah yeah, yeah. yeah good old tram tracks they um mm. They're not as noisy at night now, those just thinking about the tram tracks behind the house. They used to, the trams used to squeal around the corner. Yes. Mm -hmm. But they did a big tram replacement work. I um, don't know why that makes me think of that. I think just talking about the tram made me think of that. <laughs> Suddenly it's very quiet. But no, it has good access that way. Mm. Um, and it's right near a park too. Yeah. So there's a, um, a park at the end of the street. Mm -hmm. That's another way people park know it, Shore Reserve. Park and the footy ground. Yes, yeah. yes, so people identify mm. that. A lot of people say, oh, I used to play football. At Folks, that I've design. had a quick preview of, of Karen's garden when I dropped off some roses there once. A and long I thought, time ago. Mm, this mm. is a nice garden, this one. It's you've got to come and have a look at it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing it's how much you've packed too. in. It's yeah, incredibly and the thing, productive. The thing that struck mm. me mm. was that the – 
there were so many um, produce plants there for, for the amount the of shade yeah. that mm-hmm. there was. But, I mean, did you recently have a tree taken out? I recently out took, or we took avocado a big apricot tree. Apricot. Took a big okay, apricot yep. tree out, yeah. So mm. up until that point, we probably, as someone else pointed out, had about 85% shade. So it is a good way for people to see Mm. because, I mean, that's one of the things about permaculture ideas are, oh, yes, you plant this food forest and everything Mm. all goes in together and um, no one really talks about what happens once the trees get bigger and and the shade kicks in Mm. and And it does change things a lot. That that is a big issue with shade in gardens. And knowing how to manage things. Yeah, Mm. And now Mm. that we've become a lot more tree conscious and, of course, that's what's happening along most of our roads now. Mm. All those trees and shrubs have been allowed to grow. And mm. that's that's an extra ch- challenge with fire prevention as well. I was going to, but, I was going to say more that they've been chopping the bejesus out of them. Oh, no. In our area, they've been yeah, um, oh for the electric wires. But yes, yeah, yeah, it's quite sad. Yeah. But planting in, in, in um, planting in a garden, working with shade, yeah, like, you, like really you're talking not, about, is really simple. relevant. Yeah, yeah, you do need to you yeah. do need to be aware of it, and I've mm. discovered it just by just by putting things in and seeing mm. what grew. Really, so. Mm. Um, just by learning over the years. So mm. there's there's a couple of classes and it's a way of seeing the garden because I'm not going to open for two years. So mm. okay. th- this is the only way besides um, private garden tours of visiting for a couple of years mm. um, because I need a bit of a break. Fair and, enough. And we're making some You've big, had a lot of openings. Yeah, a lot of openings, mm. yeah. And it's also we're doing some big cha- um, garden infrastructure changes like the quail eco mm. Hilton mm. thing. Yes. And then we we want to change the aquaponics around and all of these things. You kind of think when you're having an open garden coming up, oh no, we can't do that because it takes a certain amount of months to get everything back together again That's when you're right. making changes. So. Yep. Mm. Mm. so and obviously the microclimate would have changed in your garden now. Are you starting to notice anything or it's still too um, early to tell? Oh well I haven't gone through that was sort of coming out of summer and going into autumn that the apricot tree had to come out. So um, well, really, partly because it's also the changes are being made partly because of the rats and because possums have moved in too. Well, they didn't actually move in. They got dumped. We, people were seen dumping them in the local park. Really? So, yes. Mm. <laughs> I know, I know, unbelievably. So we've got Goodness. possums now that we didn't mm. have before. Right. Uh, we had a very, very, if anything, there must have been a tiny population because they only occa- appeared occasionally, but now there's quite a big population of um, only ringies so far, only the okay. ringtail possums. So, they're not. They're not so bad. No, no, no. Brush tails. I really, really fear that would make a massive difference. But um, that they were, you know, the animals are using things as super highways. So a very old grapevine that wasn't very productive. We just decided to take out because all that was happening was that it was um, allowing more access to the garden. Yes, and, of course. So we're actually changing a whole lot of the overgrown feel of the garden, and um, yeah, making some big changes to it actually. Mm. So a big kiwi fruit. Vine, a kiwi vine um, support pergola that was put in years ago. And see, of course, I was at the zoo as an apprentice and saw the kiwi vines all growing up through the arboreal primates or the tree monkey mm. area and thought, you know, you see things as an apprentice and think, oh, that's how they're meant to grow. Right, I'll just mm. copy that at home. So I made this massive, well, I shouldn't say I did, my dad, out of his um, second-hand metal that he keeps up at his place in the country that he can make anything out of, Made this, um, you know, to withstand a nuclear explosion kind of. Um, <laughs> all this stuff is really, really strong, Dad. So, um, yeah, he um, made this thing, this pergola. Do you have nuclear explosions in your place? <laughs> See Karen's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, everything he's made is really, really strong. It's going to last for anything. So um, the, the kiwi climbs up and over that, which, of course, that seems fine. And, you know, when you're in your 20s, you think that's fine to clamber up on top of this death-defying structure. 
yeah. to get to your kiwi <laughs> vine to prune it. But of course, as I'm getting older, I'm thinking, oh, I don't really want to keep doing this. And it's yeah. got ladders to climb up to, but of course, it's got thicker and thicker and thicker. Yes, of course. And it's just impossible to manage. But yep. And of course, over the years, I've then met my wonderful Italian neighbour who's in her mid-80s and manages a massive kiwi vine that is no, sh- nothing short of a joke. Look, I forget whether it's 30 or 50 metres long. I have to count it again. <laughs> really? Massive, <laughs> massive kiwi vine, uh, yeah. all pruned and trained beautifully. Uh, and actually, I'm going to see whether animal let us go down for the end of that class to show everybody this is how you should prune mm. a kiwi vine. Mm. I've never seen anyone prune a kiwi vine as well as this mm. woman. Mm. And she's got it all trained at paling Height. And she gets plenty of kiwis. She gets between fifty and hundred kilos a year. Really, Gosh. one yeah. pl- one female plant. Yes. Gosh, all yeah. trained magnificently. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, ever since I've seen hers, I've wanted to retrain it. And yes. um, so finally, my um, my other the, the, I've got the two Johns in my life, my dad and my partner. So <laughs> finally. Um, the um, the younger one of the two has um, offered. Someone said to me, oh, it's good he offered and you didn't try and suggest it because he would have never said yes. But um, he's offered That's to... That's psychology, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, he's Works offered a to... treat with blokes. Yeah. yeah he's dro- I actually, I don't know how I did it. I think he actually, he actually thought, really, this needs to change. Because also, push the kiwi over about a third of the garden. So it's always a problem. It's yes. always over the apple tree. Yes. And it's always mm. over everything. So he's going to drop it, well, with me being the faithful assistant, um, <laughs> trades assistant, I think they call them. That's my role. And uh, drop it down from this, uh, this L shape down so that it's parallel, so it runs along the top of the fence. So a higher version of what my dear neighbour Anna has, but mm. it will make it so much easier to manage and it will make it easier to um, manage vermin, basically. Mm. So yes. yeah, a whole lot of infrastructure changes because the garden's been pretty much a haven for um, creatures running around, which hasn't been a problem because I've had enough cat influence to um, keep them, you know, just under control. But, yeah. Not anymore. Mm. No, no. So there has to be some changes. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, lots going on. Yes. Okay. So the, the cat has been an equaliser, perhaps. The cat definitely was. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm catless. So yeah. I have to, have to ah. get another cat again. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Interesting. Let's, let's go next to uh, Hugh, who's in the Yarra Valley. Morning, Hugh. Yeah, good morning, Pam. Good morning, Garden Gurus. Good morning, Victoria. <laughs> and my special thanks to Gwen and Roger. Yes. And I got your message, Pam. I heard the re- uh, your message about good. my Fulcrea Fertida. Yes. Uh, the thing is, I haven't got it. Uh, the question, the point is also how to get this particular plant. And I was hoping, hoping it is a, a, a national plant a native plant, and then I could get it uh, via a crane burn. But apparently it looks a little bit grim, doesn't it? And then the other question is, assuming um, crane burn has this for Korea, um, do they handle mail orders? I would be very surprised if Cranburn have it. To be honest, I mean, it is not all that hard. I mean, if you go to Bunnings, they have a whole arsenal of empty boxes. You put one in, and uh, you get a rough idea from the post office how much it is. You put it on top of the plant, mm. and um, you prepay it, and off you go. Mm. Uh, but nevertheless, I wanted to say thanks very much for Gwen and Roger for going into research <laughs> to finding it. Apart from that, I heard all the problems about the rats. <laughs> yes. And I tell you what, about 10, 
10 years ago when they started to subdivide the golf course here in Schoenside Park, um, the Reds came and um, they seemed to like my place. I was inundated with them. But the only problem is, and that was talked about this morning, um, what's the difference between the bush rat and the house rat? Well, the tail is one way that you can tell mm. the difference. The ratus ratus has got a much longer tail, whereas mm. the bush rats have got a shorter, finer tail. But the the tail has to be longer than the body. Well, it's. I think with the um, bush rats, it's sort of equal in length to the body, whereas with the... Um, Rattus rattus, it's it's much longer. Uh-huh. But that, that's yeah. just one way I've known to tell the difference. I think it is different too. I did look this up months ago. I think ago, they're but cuter. I'm now. sure bush rats are cuter. Yeah, I think cuter. it is a difference. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, we uh, up, uh, that's all I have for today. Okay. Um, and I wanted to say thank you again, you know, for, for mentioning it. I heard it Good. Um, when you were talking about it. Okay. Good on yeah. you, Hugh. Yes. Um, I'm looking forward for the radio thought. Okay. <laughs> talk Excellent. to you then. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. They're really cute, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They just look the like big rats. mice. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Mm. If you if you watch along the Yarra River, you know, in the city, you can see the rats all on the bank there. They dance up along the bank. Yeah. Even down there. But is that there. water rats or bush rats? Yeah. You know, they're 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 um. Because water rats too, aren't they? And they're yeah. big. They're, yeah. 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 The water rats are terrifying. big. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, you brought in some persimmons. I have, and it is tell the, us a bit um, about them. Most most popular variety, I think, at the moment, because everyone on Instagram seems to be posting about <laughs> fuyu persimmons. Okay, and that is well, mainly because they're a small, like they're one of the smaller semi semi weeping, but also semi dwarf trees, supposedly. So they're a bit easier to keep in the cities. So I think that's why everyone's put them in. Okay, but the main reason I think they're popular is because they're non astringent. So. These ones you can eat crispy or squashy. So I've actually brought both varieties in. One is in its jam state, so you can, you know, barely hold the thing and you, you know, just sort of slice open a side and scoop it out like a like a dessert. Whereas the other type you can slice up and put on a cheese platter, skin and all, really. Mm. Okay. Or um, just have as a snack. They're absolutely delicious that way. Really, really crispy. So um, they're a really lovely tree. Of course, they've... Look absolutely gorgeous in autumn. I was forced to pick my last fruit because with the more fruit hanging, hanging and the bare branches. Absolutely yes, gorgeous. But yes. I was counting nervously. I'd open the window in the morning and I'd count. Oh yes, they're still because <laughs> I was picking them because, of course, like everything, you kind of pick a few just so you've got some. And especially with these uh, with these ones, that you can eat semi ripe. It's perfect because you only have to have them slightly ripe, mm. and you can bring them inside and yes. keep them safe from bats and birds yes. and whatever rats. else. Rats, yes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, passers-by, I have to say, as well. Of course. And, of course, as the, as the leaves have fallen, one night I woke up and about half the ones that remained, I had about nine left, and suddenly in the morning there were only five. And I thought, right, that's it. So I went out and quickly, you know, that's it. So there, yeah, they've gone, so I have to bring the rest of them in now. So, um, yeah, they're really, really beautiful fruit, really, really tasty. And if you scrape out the innards from that, will your quail eat the innards from, from in those? Uh, they're that too good to give them to <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of shocked Shame on you, Graham. <laughs> don't do that. I, I don't give, have that many persimmons that I give them to I the give quail, apple, yeah. apples to my yeah. chooks that have been been affected with, with a bit of scab and stuff. But oh, I, apples, yes. I jump on them but first. apples, you get jump, a lot of apples. Jump on the apple first. And oh, then that's give an interesting them. idea. Mm. Yeah. I just usually cut them up. What a good yeah. idea. Yeah. The other right. thing I'm giving to the chickens at the chicken at the moment is uh, chocos. So I give them a rough 
um, hit with a good, strong, sharp trowel <laughs> and split them open and put them inside. Mm. And they, you know, Take your hand away from the howling. Yeah, yeah, very quickly because you know, <laughs> you know, straight away. Karen, for, for the listeners, I think we should explain the oh, difference yes, between should, yes. astringent and non-astringent. Oh, oh, sorry, yes, astringent. So astringent uh, persimmons must be eaten fully ripe and in fact almost really rotten. Squishy. Really yeah. squishy. Squishy, in- incredibly squishy. And if you fail to do that, I mean, you won't buy them completely squashy because they're not practical to be sold that way. But once you buy them, you need to keep them in your fruit bowl at home until they are, you know, overripe. Otherwise, when you eat them, your mouth will turn inside out. And that's so, astringent. <laughs> yeah, so if you're buying them, you really do need to know whether what it's variety? an astringent or a non-astringent. Absolutely. Because yeah. you, if you bite into an astringent one, <laughs> it'll put yeah. you off for life. I, I found it's not some, totally um, ripe. I found some, because we've got bats too and they tend to, in the street, they tend to pick things up and drop them around the place. So <laughs> I was walking down the street and I saw some persimmons on the ground and I thought they were mine. And I thought, oh, damn, bats. So I picked them up, brought them home, cut one open and was surprised to find that they were the astringent type. Right. <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, so there was a lot of rinsing of the mouth under the tap. Oh, yes. So, yeah, <laughs> okay, they, the bats weren't getting so mine after all. So that was a human all. bat, was it? Yeah, that, yeah, well, it wasn't mine. It wasn't my persimmons. It was someone else's. Oh, right. uh, the, so the a different variety, obviously, yes. Well, yeah, I only variety. tried persimmons a couple of weeks ago for oh, the first really? time. Yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, I was yeah. absolutely pleasantly surprised and then I did a bit of research between the astringent and non-astringent because I was like, oh, what's the difference here? And I think, mm. is, am I correct that the astringent varieties are, are more elongated than the um, than the non-astringent varieties, whereas the, the non-astringent tend to look just like a tomato, really, just... Oh no, I don't know. I don't. That. I don't. Yeah. Cause, I don't think so. Right. Okay. Because yeah. because I've I've definitely um I you've I had astringent ones that are round like that. I've definitely mm. been given okay. some astringent ones and they look. So yeah, basically, you can't identical. tell until you to eat yeah. until you eat it. Well, the one you in, need to know. Yeah. The ones in my street looked identical to, my, to yes. mine. Yeah. They really did. Okay. And I was really yeah. surprised. So there's there's one I've known because I thought, oh yeah, they're definitely mine. Yes. And yeah, I was surprised to find that they weren't. So. Yeah, so the non-astringent it just means that they're sweet at en- and they're sweet at any stage of ripening, mm. really. Mm. Well, that's mm. what I had—the non-astringent, delicious. Oh, amazing! Yeah. And I mean, you only just have to feel a very slight um, giving of the of the fruit when you're picking them off the tree, and uh, and also you can see that I've picked those with um, a little bit of stem. You have to be careful though, too. Sometimes you'll break off a bit of the branch too when you're. When you're prune, when you're um, cutting them off, and so yeah, just try not to rip off the whole thing. At first, when they're ripening, you've got the orange fruit and the autumn colour. So mm. I mean, you couldn't think of anything more gorgeous. Yes, because yeah. these leaves are large. Um, they don't seem to get any diseases. Mm. Can you keep them in pots? Um, big pot? Uh, How tall do they big, get? Too, too big? big yeah, I, I think. think so, yeah. No. I don't know, but I don't think so. No, I've never heard of them grown in a pot. Yeah. But they're so yeah. attractive. How tall, the How tall are the trees? Beautiful. Look, about they get up to about four by three, but mine would be fruiting. I mean, I'd be getting a good two dozen or more fruit, probably mm. more, to, you know, up to 30 fruit off a tree that's probably only about two and a half metres tall by two metres wide now. So yep. you're not a very big tree. And um, and do you prune it back? Um, now I was um, thinking, oh, gee, can I remember how you prune this? I think what you're meant to do, for, and this is going from memory, because it's not a tree that I've pru- had very long, so mm-hmm. I have to kind yep. of, you know, as you need to refresh your memory as you when you're pruning. So don't um, quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure you pr- once you get your fruiting arms established, I think you're, it's one of those trees where you're pruning back the produ- one of the productive arms each year to 
um, produce more fruiting. So I think that's the style of it, where you're replenishing a different fruiting arm so over fruit about grow, a four-year period or something. Fruit from grows on the newer wood, does it? On the newer wood, yeah, yes. Same yeah. sort of thing with roses. Yeah, mm. right. Yes, okay. yeah. It's a bit. It, it's different to a rose. You can't. You can't kind of prune the whole thing back, though. Right. You're only pruning one productive arm back next year. Oh, yeah. Each year, I mean. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But I'd have to um, look that up for you. And, and, um, <laughs> Maybe I can ring in on the, um, in the, what on would the, the root radiothon growth? and let people know. <laughs> what would the root growth be like? Are um, they very invasive with their roots? No, they're not invasive. And, in fact, that was one of the factors. I tried to establish mine during the drought still. Mm-hmm. And I found it very quickly that they were very susceptible to low moisture levels in their first year. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've planting as a bare root tree. So mine died, my first one. Mm. It, um, and I had to really pay attention to its watering. And I, I, I read about it when, I, when it died. I thought, oh, what went wrong there? Because I thought they were relatively hardy trees. But they need very careful watering, mm. pa- attention paid to watering their okay. first year okay. and to get them established. And then they're quite hardy because now yeah. I don't really pay much attention to it. Mm. So, mm. I mean, really, that should go for all plants. But no, you much know, more than other ones. Established watering. It's, it's, um, so but it, it, just, it just seems to just be really it. particular. Yeah. That's, when, that's what I read anyway yep. when yep. I had trouble with it. So. Yeah. Okay. AB, yeah. is there any work being done on, on root invasiveness from natives? Because that's a real problem for certainly for, for some of our customers that come in with roses and, um, you know, for instance, the oak tree mm. um, sends its roots pretty well straight down. Mm. Uh, pears and ornamental pears are similar. They'll go straight down. But we have get feedback a lot from customers about invasive roots from natives. And, you know, even from oh, mm. five, ten metres away. Yeah. No, and, I don't know, Graeme. That, that's mm. a really good, mm. interesting question. Mm. Mm. We had yeah. potting mix in our nursery and it had been there uh, three months. Yeah. And there were natives within about um, uh, 15 metres. Mate, they got up into, into the potting mix. Mm. Even gone through the yep. plastic underneath, weaved their weight up into the potting mix. What, eucalypts or something? Yeah, eucalypts. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Eucalypts yeah. doesn't surprise me. My mum's mm. veggie garden's in regular invasion mm. mode. Mm-hmm. Eucalypts. <laughs> yep. Mm. Mm. Even well, we're right at the point now whether we'll get eggs. a ditch witch in and 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 come right along and cut the roots. Yep. But that'll only last for two years because they'll get back in there again. Mm. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, before we go to our last caller for the morning, we must be quick now. Um, Karen, a listener wants to know your address again for the workshops on the twenty fifth. Oh, workshops. So it's for it's at twenty two Lockinvar L O C H I N V A R Street, Pasco Vale South. But you're best to look at the website because you have to book online or book through going online. Okay, so give out the website oh, again. Ed- Edible Eden Design. If you go to that website and look at classes and events, then you'll find a way to um, contact. There's an online form to sign up with. If you don't do any internet at all, there is a phone number there and you can call and you can book up that way if you absolutely can't do online booking. Okay, that's excellent. Nice. Good service. All right, Put a let's... phone number in too. <laughs> let's very quickly go to our good friend Sue in Mount Evelyn. Good morning, Sue. Hi, Pam, and hi, crew. How are you all? They're well. Good, yes, you. that's good. Um, I've actually put together a really nice salad. I had pomegranates for the first time last year. As oh, my okay. friend around the corner has them, and uh, they're the non-astringent ones. And I actually peel them like an apple and eat them too. But um, Persimmon. Persimmons. Stephen, every time we have a function, Stephen makes a beautiful salad with mango, Avocado and pine nuts, and I've done it with pomegranate. Uh, I think you mean persimmons. Persimmons, sorry. Yeah, so actually, um, if you do it on a plate and I put spinach leaves on there, slices of the pomegranate, 
avocado and then toasted pine nuts on the top and then mix together pomegranate molasses with white um, balsamic vinegar. And if you haven't got uh, pomegranate molasses, you can use orange juice and the combination of the flavours together is actually really beautiful. It's not a nuclear explosion, is it? No, no, no. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say too, I was trying to find my Tesla's catalogue, is Tesla's have actually got an amazing range of um, double um, halibores for sale at the moment too that are absolutely stunning. Okay. Yeah. If Can you give us it. that recipe again, please? Yes, just spinach leaves yep. and equal amounts of your avocado and if either slice it or you can do uh, little scoops of avocado slice up your uh, persimmons and then put toasted pine nuts on the top and a little drizzle of the dressing and it is absolutely beautiful Mm, sounds great yeah okay sounds worth keeping some persimmon in the fridge until the avocado ripens because (laughs) it's not quite ripe yet yeah but it's actually a really good substitute for a mango at this time of the year excellent okay good on you sue okay Bye. bye well we have run out of time for yet another week would you believe um Please, listeners, remember that 25th of June is our Radiothon date. We will be on air from 7.30, running right through till 10 o'clock, hoping to raise lots and lots of money for 3CR and the gardening show in particular to keep us on air for another 12 months. We have got loads and loads and loads of goodies to tempt you with, and we'd love to see you here at 21 Smith Street in uh, Fitzroy, uh, just up from Victoria Parade here uh, when we come off air at 10 o'clock. So uh, do keep slice. the 25th. Come down. <laughs> yes, come down. Um, we'd love to see you. But, of course, uh, we have another show to do next week uh, before that Radiothon. Uh, a big thank you to the team again today. And uh, you have been listening to The Gardening Show. Do tune in again uh, next week. And uh, until then... Bye for now.